Hey, Becky, what about this beat for your next song? Mm, it's cool, but I'm into faster stuff lately, like Xfinity that gives me beyond gig speeds. Got it. What about this then? Mm, it sounds powerful, just like Xfinity. Because its supersonic Wi-Fi has three times the bandwidth, you can connect hundreds of devices at once. <laughs> That's what I call power. Unbeatable internet from Xfinity. Made to do anything so you can do anything. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Requires compatible Xfinity gateway. Limited quantities available. Welcome back. I'm so sorry this episode has taken so long to get to you. Um, and thanks for all of your tweets and I got a couple of emails as well asking me where it was. Well, it's here. So you can stop sending those now. Some of them were a bit aggressive, to be honest with you. Pardon me for having a life. I'll be talking to a former boybander who made a movie and a politician who stood up for everyone by standing up for himself. And if you think that sounds dramatic, buckle up for the theme tune. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fascinated. Today I'll be chatting to two very different people about their contributions in fighting for the same cause. Just before Christmas I interviewed former boy band singer David Ross about his movie I Do, which is a really good movie about equal rights for gay marriages in the US. However, shortly afterwards, as we know, a marriage equality row began to brew much closer to home. Irish drag artist Rory O'Neill appeared on a chat show and mentioned when asked that he thought people who were vocally opposed to marriage equality were homophobic. There were compensation payments, there was murder, basically. And if you don't know what happened, Google it, but it's a story that went around the world. However, while the whole episode was depressing and ugly, it led to some really wonderful, hopeful moments. The most obvious being Rory O'Neill's heartfelt Noble Call speech, which he made from the stage of the Abbey, the Irish National Theatre. Have you ever gone into your favourite neighbourhood cafe with the paper that you buy every day and you open it up and inside is a 500-word opinion written by a nice middle-class woman, the kind of woman who probably gives to charity, the kind of woman who you would be totally happy to leave your children with. And she is arguing over 500 words so reasonably about whether or not you should be treated less than everybody else, about arguing that you should be given fewer rights than everybody else. And when you read that, and then the woman at the next table gets up and excuses herself to squeeze by you and smiles at you, and you smile back and nod and say, no problem. And inside, you wonder to yourself, does she think that about me too. And that feels oppressive. And you go outside and you stand at the pedestrian crossing and you check yourself. And I hate myself for that. Subsequently, politicians Jerry Buttermer and John Lyons made impassioned speeches at a sitting of the Dáil, which is the Irish Parliament. Recently, I headed to the Houses of the Oireachtas to chat with John Lyons about what was going through his head when he stood up to make that speech. Otherwise, there will not be confidence in our national broadcast or to mediate any debate with confidence, particularly around issues that affect my life and the people who love me and love all the other people who aren't treated properly in this society. Thank you, Ken Corley. Thank you. Thank you. 
haven't done one of these in ages. Do you know that? And this particular yeah, yeah. issue. I know, yeah. <laughs> just for the We're really while. behind the times. Like, let the heat die down and then just slip in under the radar. That's what all about again. I'll have to work out that. No, yeah. <laughs> Somebody oh, got yeah. really annoyed. <laughs> um, so, a couple of months ago, you made a very passionate speech in the Dáil. It was very eloquent and very brave and very unpolitical, I suppose. Is that a... Fair, fair yeah, um, eloquent. I don't know if it was eloquent, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm a real kind of heart in your sleep type guy. Always have been. And yeah. I'm convinced it's from from a mother who just endlessly loves the seven of us. And we grew up in a house of just hugs. Like, you got to, yeah. you know, it was a hug and a kiss when you got up in the morning, a hug and a kiss before you went to bed type yeah. thing. <laughs> and, uh, so I think some of that has rubbed off, like, intrinsically on me now at this stage. And, uh, yeah, I, I was really trying to... I suppose I I got really frustrated because we had been trying to raise this issue in the doll from the moment it happened, uh, from literally the next sitting doll day from uh, the from the Saturday night show, which was Saturday night clearly, and the next doll sitting day would have been Tuesday. We had been uh, I'd been I'd been and other other over other people had been trying to raise this issue for for over a week uh, about the whole RTE and the issue of compo paid out to a number of individuals. Yeah, yeah. So there was an element of frustration building up, and um, I kind of feel as in you know if you're scripted, it's very hard to be real. So I was very unscripted. So yeah. uh, so I was very real. Yeah. And uh, I was telling it like it is. Um, at the same time, trying not to overstep any boundaries, even though you do have this thing called parliamentary privilege. Um, and I, I felt I was calling it what it was, which was that, um, you know, there were, there were, you know, money had been paid out, in my opinion, out of taxpayers' money. And my, my biggest job as a TD is to be very aware of how public money is used, because it's yeah. our money at the end of the day, yeah, the people yeah. who live in this country and who pay taxes. And... For money to be paid out over an issue which clearly national debate was saying RT were wrong and I believed they were wrong. And I was really, really frustrated over it. Um, and because it affected me directly. What was interesting was that you spoke, it's not often that you actually hear it in the doll from personal experience. And surely that's the essence of politics really. It has to be like. I, I, to- I totally agree with you. I mean, I worked as a teacher for 13 years and, you know, one thing that I learned as a teacher was that if if students could relate to you as a human being because that's the common denominator between all of us that if 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 people can relate to you as a human being if if you in some way reveal yourself um not expose but rather reveal yeah. uh, yourself that that's the common denominator that transcends everything and i think you know what we often lack at times is people actually bringing the i or the me into conversation when they're when they're when they're talking in politics, but that's the but that's actually the the common denominator that threads us all together, and that's yeah. why I think politics sometimes is so mismatched. So uh, I was being very much me and speaking about you know how I am affected by this yeah, particular yeah. issue with marriage equality. It's it's sometimes seen something abstract, and yet people who would say things like you know well I'm against gay marriage because of you know the sanctity of marriage and X Y and Z yeah and then they will say oh but you know Mark and John who live together then the road up we love them yeah it's a bit of an anomaly um to be honest with you um it's again it's it's back to that kind of what you just said there a second ago it's about it's about kind of when you become when you when you when you speak uh, uh, from the personal side of things yeah um and you make the connection you know even my mother sometimes will still kind of 
cringe yeah, a little yeah. bit at it. Yeah. But it's it's when when you bring the me into it or the the person into it, and when when somebody knows that there's a John and a Patrick living down the road who've had a civil partnership, for example, in the past, it it breaks all of that kind of conceptualized image that people might have might have had beforehand that it's it's a bit unusual it's a bit out there it's when people know the person and they realize that they are just people uh, yeah that that it, that it breaks it and 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 the whole marriage equality concept becomes oh yeah sure it, you know yeah because i think that a lot of the objection is about a wedding yeah you well if we, if we if we look at facts and i'm a yeah. big big man i'm believing in facts and the facts are you know the amount of people who who actually have civil marriages um, which is actually the marriage. Religious marriage is, is just the add-on with no disrespect to anybody and anybody who chooses that, that's fine. But that's yeah. the add-on for your particular credence. Um, it's the civil marriage, which which the, the priest will also kind of sign the, the civil uh, registrar uh, when people go up and they play the nice music after they've yeah, done their yeah, vows. Yeah. They're actually doing the, the state that's bit the on behalf of the state. Yeah. That's the actual bit that counts. And um, the amount of people who are getting married in, in uh, registry offices is on the increase. And it's been constantly increasing over the last 10 years. And um, it suggested that given that, you know, uh, the state uh, registry office doesn't, civil registry office doesn't open uh, at the weekends or after five, uh, Monday to Friday, that if it did, we'd have even a higher increase of people choosing civil marriage as opposed to religious marriage. So, that's interesting. Very, very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Mm, and that's fact. <laughs> that is, well, that's, very, that's an interesting so, fact. So, I mean, it's, I understand, but it's also, we have to look at it like culture as well. Like, I mean, we've grown up in a culture, I mean, we've grown up in a culture whereby if I was to ask you, think of a wedding, you think of a man and a woman, you think of a man and a woman in a church. Every movie you see, a Hollywood blockbuster, they're in this glamorous big church, gorgeous church, you know, in glamorous, and it's a man and a woman. So we've been in, inculcated with this image of this is how it's done, but that's not necessarily the right way or the only way that it yeah, and, t- and time moves on. Yeah, time well. has moved, and yeah. time has moved on. This is a question now that I I, I constantly ask myself: Have have we made it difficult, like the language that we use? You know, for example, opposition to gay marriage became homophobia, and I, rem- I remember thinking, God, that's a. I remember thinking that that was a leap, to be honest. But then when I saw, I think the noble call speech, and then your own speech, and then you actually realize, oh yeah, what else is it? Well, I mean, I. I mean, when I when I watched uh, Rory Rory O'Neill speak yeah. um, for the, on the Nobel Call on, on the Abbey stage, he I, and it was only when I watched maybe the third time yeah. I began to see pennies drop in my own life. And yeah, I was exactly that's, the same. That's, and yeah. I'm delighted because the reality is, you know, society because of the way it's structured in in, in Irish society, and I'm sure in maybe in a hundred years it'll be structured. Uh, in in a slightly different way and the thing I'm about to say probably won't be something that people would be thinking as much but the reality was Rory's speech struck a chord with me and that was that you know the way society is structured particularly in Ireland um, has you know makes me sometimes you know feel a little bit homophobic myself yeah that's the reality I can, yeah I completely and I, agree and I yeah, hate yeah. that I really do hate that I absolutely hate it I'll give you one example I mean I was coming back from the local the local uh, centre there the other night and myself and the 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 guy I'm going out with that makes him seem like nothing but uh, no just me I don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. but then again I don't I don't want to call it something you see, it's beyond very, it's very, that it's very dangerous as well in the cop, you know? in, like in a, in a conversation about marriage equality when you start bringing in your partner yeah. because like if you have a temp and if a, a full time position opens up the temp is not necessarily the person that's going to get the job <laughs> pretty much so well I, yeah well I wouldn't mind this person getting the job to be honest with you All right. but um, but but 
there was a bunch of lads, you know, um, there was a bunch of lads uh, standing outside the off license a couple of doors down from the centre that I was in. And, but in my head, I was thinking as I was walking by, they're going to be thinking. You know, and I was maybe yeah, overthinking. Yeah, yeah. And I hate that, that that's still yeah. the way I think. And that, a bit of that's me, but a bit of that is also because of the way society has shaped us. Yeah, I don't, it's not, I don't think it's ourselves in isolation. Like, I mean, there's, there's something that actually creates that mm. in people, like that mm-hmm. self-consciousness. Like Rory's speech, I thought, nailed that. Was that the first time you had to really stick your head up with regard to the, the fact that you're gay? No, well, see, this, this is, this is the well. I suppose it heightened it up to a, a notch or two more. But I've always had this bit of a premise, and it goes back to, back to when I was twenty one, coming home from. Yeah. Uh, I was coming home from Chicago on a flight uh, on a J one uh, visa, and I had been away for the first time. It's a bit of an elongated story, but it kind of gets to the point. <laughs> I had been away for three months uh, with uh, my best mates from college. Uh, one of them who I was going out with um, and I was all kind of new to even the whole relationship thing and so on and the two of us ourselves kind of you know began to come out to our friends over there then as well who were common friends so we all knew yeah, each other yeah, first before yeah. this happened and I was experiencing you know kind of kind of a new lease of life over there a bit more of who I am rather than yeah. who people think I think I am and I can remember sitting on the plane uh, coming back from Chicago and we had started our descent into Dublin and I'm a bit of a kind of a deep thinker at times and uh, at times only at times and I can remember saying to myself okay John you're coming back to Dublin you're going back home to your to your to your man's house um, and yeah. you're going back into the life that you had beforehand or in fact you're going back into uh, you know into training as a teacher and stuff like that and um, don't leave behind what you started over there bring some of this back with yeah. you so it started back then you know yeah. so I mean I was at a stage whereby and I know some other people who are teachers wouldn't have felt the same but I was at a stage when I was leaving teaching before I got elected into here whereby it was as normal for me as it was for the person next to me to talk about what I did at the weekend uh, whereas at the it was the inverse at the very beginning you know yeah. it was secrecy yeah. And, yeah. and so on but um, so in my opinion I was very much living my life as who I am um, yeah, and I was constantly because I just believe you always have to push yourself a little bit just yeah. even it's only an inch more you just keep on doing it and if you keep pushing the inch when you look back sometimes it's a mile you've reached and I kept doing that since probably around that time I came back from Chicago on the J1 so coming into politics then for me it wasn't a case of oh no I was all out I mean the Sun decided to try and sell newspapers on the, the day after oh, I was elected really? and put myself and uh, Dominic Hannigan who were the first official out gay TDs ever elected to Dáil Éireann they decided to tell the rest of the world now I was already in the process of doing that but I didn't have yeah. the, the ability to do what the Sun could do as in anybody oh, who was important to me knew who 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 I was and that I yeah. was gay and I just went about my business so I was never hiding anything so how do you react to that then when the, when this suddenly comes out accelerates um yeah well I mean I the, the interesting thing was at the very beginning because I never I didn't get into politics for anything to do explicitly with gay rights issues. In yeah, fact, it was yeah. the last thing on my mind, to be quite honest, which when I, when I knocked on doors in Dublin yeah, Northwest. Exactly. Yeah. And um, it was it was those penny-dropping moments. It was reading a couple of letters, and one in particular from a gentleman. I received letters when I got elected from 
all parts of the world, you know, from Michael Cashman, uh, who used to be Colin in EastEnders, who's an MEP, uh, uh, a UK <laughs> MEP, yeah, um, he's actually not st- uh, re-running or running again uh, for this election, but um, I don't know if you remember Colin or not, you know, years ago, he, I think he might have been a gay doctor in, um, in EastEnders, we're talking a long, long time ago, oh, I, I was a teenager, we would have been the first gay character, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but I suppose anybody who's gay, the radar went up, it's like, oh, there's gay people on the telly, isn't that great type yeah, thing, yeah. and, and, they're, be, and they're being treated okay, um, yeah. you know, more to the point, but it was, it was particularly a letter from a middle-aged man uh, in Terenure, who my name, whose name I can't remember when isn't important either. But anyway, his 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 letter was quite nice and was congratulating me on getting elected and was saying how he was a, a, a gay man, and um, and basically he said, you know, there are a lot of people standing tall today because of you. Never, even yeah. when I read that letter, I still didn't pick, kind of didn't register. And I was walking down Malzard Street outside Leinster House there, and the penny dropped, and I realised that okay, you need to start doing something about you know, the whole LGBT issues uh, in kind of Irish society because you're in a position where you can do something about this. Um, not change it, uh, you know, on your own, yeah. but you can be part of a group of people who create change. And that's when I had that penny-dropping moment. But until then, I was, I was, you know, I was knocking on doors for the same reason everybody else was. I was getting into politics because I wanted a better society full stop. And um, so I was kind of a, a broad church type of a guy, you know, from a yeah. pol- political point of view. But obviously, the whole LGBT issues have just become part and parcel of of um, of my time in, in Leinster. Yeah. And I love it. I mean, I've got to meet some fantastic people in marriage yeah. equality, in Glen, in in Tenny, for example. People I never would have met otherwise. And yeah. they have. We, we're all kind of a synergy, and in some way, yeah. we drive each other, and it's great. If you look at the video on YouTube of that that speech you gave, there's a lot of empty seats, and it feels very stuffy. Were you nervous, or was or were you feeling the same as if you were raising any other issue? Well, most times you're a little bit nervous when you get up to speak in yeah, the dorm, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and there was there was a huge frustration and there was a fire in the belly, so yeah, to speak, okay, yeah. you know, and it's that fire or that oomph that you get in the belly that um, can sometimes can come out all over the place when, you yeah, know, because yeah, it's, it's yeah. unscripted, as I was saying. So that's um, how you get the duck analogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah actually it was funny i came back into the i came back into the office the following day and there was an image uh, there was a cartoon of a, a picture cartoon of a duck uh, stuck to my door so, but you know what it stuck he called it what it is when it walks like a duck quacks like a duck looks like a duck it must be a duck i was nervous yeah i was nervous and i i was kind of wasn't i, I was in control but at the same time I was like a pot that was beginning to boil over. Um, yeah. You know, I was trying to watch it so that nothing would spill out uh, that didn't need to spill out, but yeah. stuff spilled out. That if yeah. I was to do it again, I possibly wouldn't. Um, but I was just being me. And again, going back to that common denominator, that's why, that's what people understand, is when you are being you, when you speak f- uh, from the me or from the person, that's when people understand an issue. In 1993, pop band Bad Boys Inc. released their debut single, Don't Talk About Love. Singer David Ross was one of two of the band's members who was secretly gay. At the time, he was living with his photographer boyfriend, when it was illegal to have a boyfriend if you were under the age of 21. The band's management lived in constant fear of gay rumours and even ordered David not to walk down Old Compton Street in Soho. And he was repeatedly instructed about checking his mannerisms. Before performances on TV, he was always reminded, don't flick your hair because it makes you look gay. 
With no media training, he floundered through suspicious press interviews, while being constantly reminded that a misstep could cost numerous executives and his bandmates their jobs. He vehemently denied he was gay and even went so far as identifying his ideal girlfriend as the Little Mermaid. Okay, so he didn't try that hard, but it all took its toll and he was miserable. Following the demise of the band two years later, David moved to LA where he worked as an actor, screenwriter and sometime photographer. In 2012, he starred in the independent movie I Do, which he also wrote and produced. The project started life as a broad comedy about a gay marriage of convenience, originally to be produced for a Hollywood studio. But when David worked photographing the Prop 8 rallies, he realised his heart was in a different place and the script morphed into a heartfelt commentary on the struggle for equality. In a poignant coincidence, the movie's release coincided with the overturning of the Defence of Marriage Act in the US. There's really no other way. I do believe in fate. I do believe in family. I believe in telling the truth and that your actions have consequences. Sometimes things happen in life, okay? I think sometimes things happen and you just have to move on. We can have a marriage, a real marriage. So you don't have the same rights as a straight couple. You think this is easy? True love, even once in this life, you're a lot luckier than most, Jack. Whose life are you living anyway? As Ireland begins to tackle the issue of gay marriage, screenwriter and actor David Ross has transformed his idea for a broad comedy about a marriage of convenience into a drama depicting the harsh realities of a binational same-sex couple. David Ross, you're very welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted to. Absolutely. Uh, the I watched your movie, I do, a couple of nights ago. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. But I don't want to give anything away uh, in, in talking about a movie. So if you could just give us the official blurb. Oh my goodness, the official blurb. Well, I'm just having my coffee now in LA, so I'm waking up. Um, Very sure. It's about it. <laughs> yes. It's about a, a gay guy from England who's living in New York um, and working as a photo assistant and loses his, his work permit and decides to marry his best friend who's a lesbian for a green card. When he meets the quote-unquote love of his life, um, his world gets turned upside down and because of DOMA, they realize they don't have the same rights as straight couples in terms of marriage. Um, and he's left with a massive decision um, at the end of the film when he has to decide between his surrogate family in America and true love in a different country. And it's, it is just worth the watch. It is, I just loved it. What, what's interesting is, originally I thought this is a film about gay marriage. Uh, you know, it ends there. But you, you don't just tackle the, well, you don't tackle the big, 
you know, overarching subject of gay marriage. You just pick one specific point of it. Yes, for me, it was, well, first of all, I had um, a boyfriend who many years ago couldn't get his paperwork. Um, and that was kind of the kernel of, of me looking into this issue. I couldn't keep him in the country. Obviously, I'm gay. And at the time, it wasn't legal to get married anyway. Um, and he he went back to England. We tried the long distance relationship. And I thought that was very interesting the emotional stuff that we were going through just because we were gay we were forced yeah. to live in different different countries i mean of course i could have chose i could you know go back to england if i wanted to but career wise we were both in a place where that just wasn't possible we couldn't afford a long distance relationship uh people think that long distance relationships are romantic you get to meet up in different countries but you know the the, the reality of of having to do several international flights a year just to sustain a relationship um, it's just almost impossible. And this is before Skype, you know, so yeah. <laughs> back in the day with dial phones, no, it wasn't that bad. Um, <laughs> and then a lot of my friends were getting married for green cards and I was just kind of witnessing what they were going through emotionally as, as gay people or if a straight person married a gay person, what that meant for their friendship. Um, and I just wanted to tell this story because so many people I'd spoken to didn't really understand. The f- there's two different levels of law in America. So we have the state law um, yeah. and then we have federal level law. And a lot of the bigger life things like hospital visitation, um, end of life decisions and immigration are all kind of the, all the laws are on a federal level. Um, okay. And so when DOMA went through, of course, that kind of changed everything. But that, that was kind of why I decided to make the film more of a romantic drama, I think. I read that you you had been photographing some Proposition 8 rallies. Yeah, that's right. So um, that was kind of when the the, um, script took a turn. So it was this kind of broad comedy, kind of slapstick. Oh, you know, gay guy marries a lesbian for a green card and madness ensues. Very kind of... um... Sounds fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, well, and then the script apparently, you know, I got um, some people interested. And and then I started shooting the Prop 8 rallies. Um, I started taking photos. Apparently I was pretty good. And I shot um, one of the main rallies in, in California called Meet in the Middle, which happened when Prop 8 went through. So when the proposition was, uh, was voted in, um, which meant that gay marriage was, was null and void in California, a lot of the organizations met in, in the Central Valley in Fresno. And um, they, it basically was a, a, a rally. And the next day was a, a WTF, like what happened? Why did we lose? Why, why have people chosen... Um, bigotry and and uh, anti-gay measures over love and you know allowing gay marriage to continue um, and it was shooting those rallies that I saw families being affected children in fact um, I yeah. mean statistically there were about 40,000 plus binational couples living in America of which 40% had children so what I always found astonishing was the amount of families that were being affected and children and a lot of these people that were anti-gay marriage were like saying that they're for family and in fact they're ripping families apart I mean, it was just this very very sickening thing that was happening here and that yeah that's that's the thing that always gets me is that the they talk about this family unit and they're not really talking about the family unit they're talking about their own very very narrow in fairness (laughs) vision of what family is you know yeah yeah absolutely at the time when you were writing the, the like, I suppose the first draft of the movie, did you then just say, "Oh no, I don't want to. I don't want it to be comedy. I wanted to. I, I wanted to take this turn." 
I just kind of felt more and more and more working more and more with these people and seeing that this was an issue that was affecting obviously not only people in America, but this is affecting people globally because yeah. a, lot of, a lot of couples would choose to live outside of America. Um, for example, um, the director Glenn's sister lives in Israel with her wife. And we know of other people that live in England or have moved back to Australia because they just simply can't make a life with all the protections and things that one would need with children or what have you in America. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, that kind of really shook me to the core. And um, Did you ever think of, of just saying, okay, that's it, I'm done with the US? Oh, all the time. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not for, not for those reasons. I, you know, it's actually, it's very funny because I'm, I'm planning on coming back to England a lot more um, now the film is done. But yeah. no, I love it. I do love it here. It's an amazing country. And I think that I came over here like 20 years ago after the band. And um, it just, it, it's, it's a very different country now than it was back then. Um, and I think what's great is people really kind of, stand up and demand what they want here um yeah and... yes that's actually that's a really good way of putting it um, yeah because sometimes uh the, sometimes when i think of american people i'm like what is it about that quintessential american that you know there's kind of like an arrogance but it, but it's an arrogance that i like but that that's mm -hmm. exactly it people just stand up and shout for what they want i really like that were you aware when you were writing the movie and i suppose and you did a kickstarter fund for it as well when you were putting all that together were you aware how timely it would be, the release of it? It just felt very ripped from the headlines. Yeah, well, I've worked, I, honestly, I, I worked on the script for almost 10 years. So as, as I got caught up in the Hollywood system and I had, you know, the, it's very difficult to get stars on board when you don't have the money. Or it's hard to get yeah. the money if you don't have the stars on board. And I had a feeling that um, running up to the, the presidential election that Obama won second term, that gay marriage was going to be a big deal. Everyone was telling me that taxes was going to be a big deal. But in fact, gay marriage ended up being a very um, important issue. The Democratic Party actually wrote it into their, um, I don't know what it's called, but it was part of the Democratic, what they, what they were running on. Um, what we didn't, of course, realize is the film would be in theaters in America the same week um, that Doma was ruled on. Now, that was amazing. I would, <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. And, you know, if I look back 10 years at my young self writing the first few words, um, I don't think I could have even imagined the timing would have been such. It was it was incredible. It really was incredible. It's it's almost as it was almost as fortunate as the Nelson Mandela's death with Nelson Mandela's movie. It was that oh kind of marketing. <laughs> crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. I mean, you don't you know, the. Of course, we, no one wanted Mandela to die, and I didn't. I, I wanted the the law. Well, the to producers go they were they were oh. probably okay with it. <laughs> yeah, they were probably like woo. But um, you know, I, I I really there was a part of me that wanted Doma to 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 be overturned, and there was a part of me that was like, oh my god! But then if it's overruled, then the film is going to be you know no no it's not it's gonna it's just not going to make any sense. And so it was really great how it all worked out. Yeah, it was absolutely it was brilliant. It was so funny because you you kind of came back on the scene, I suppose, in the UK and Ireland, um, around that time with that movie, and it was just like, mm. oh my god, what the hell is happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm very lucky. One of the things that I I have to say about I do, and I think it's very important I address this just for my own prejudice, (laughs) and that is that I do, it's not a typical gay movie. Like, it really, really isn't. Like, whenever someone describes um, a movie as an independent gay movie, I always find myself folding my arms and thinking, you know, this is something where nobody wears a top, nobody in the cast has ever seen a slice (laughs) of bread. Um, But I do... And this is something that I didn't notice watching it, but afterwards, just on reflection, it doesn't have a single stereotype in it. Oh, wow. That's, Which... you know, I, thank you. Yeah, and I think that, I think what was important, Don Ruse, who's a, who's a big director-writer over here in America, said something at um, Outfest a few years ago that really resonated with me. He said, it's not enough that we tell gay stories. We have to tell stories that are universal in their appeal. We've, we've kind of moved on with gay cinema in terms of there's always going to be room for queer cinema and gay cinema. Of course there is. Yeah. But I think that where I personally believe a lot of gay films fail is there isn't a more universal theme. There isn't something, dare I say, on a more kind of spiritual level where you can connect on a much more human level rather than pithy comebacks. And like you say, yeah. stereotypes that we've seen a million times before. Um, and there's a lot of amazing film out there, absolutely 100%. Um, but a lot of times you, you do find, and, and budget, you know, we were a low budget film. There's, there's no excuse. It, it really is about um, intention. And I just wanted to tell a bigger story. You know, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, I don't, want to, I don't really want to, write, I don't want to write a gay movie. I want to write a movie. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I do believe that I do is, is, is a movie that happens to be about gay people. And, um, yeah, audiences have really reacted incredibly to the film. So I think we, we might have done our job. We might. Oh, no, I, I absolutely think you did. I mean, uh, it was only afterwards I realised that. And I was kind of going through all the characters and going, no, there, there isn't a stereotype. And then there was, there's a lesbian with a leather jacket. And you kind of think, hang on a second here. This has gone off the rails. But I think that's allowed. <laughs> it wasn't a biker jacket, though. It was a very no, nice, no, it was very, well cut. <laughs> it was very tailored. Yes. Very tailored. Yeah. <laughs> um, now the, the character you play, Jack, um, I think he's such a poignant portrayal of a gay man, I think, because he's not, what's interesting, like, he's not fighting any big battle. You know, he has acceptance from everyone around him and, like, like there's so much love surrounding him and yet he's really, really isolated. It's glaring that it's because of his sexuality. Um, how did you get that across? <laughs> I know that's not a very, <laughs> it's not a very well thought out <laughs> question, but I just thought he, he is such a modern example of a gay man. I mean, he has... You know, it's one of those things, he has everything going for him, but then he, he just seems so lonely. I think it's, yeah, and I, without giving too much away, I think that his family dynamic is really the thing that has has messed him up um, in his life, in his head the most. And I think obviously I'm pulling from my life and looking around at my friends. I actually read a book called The Velvet Rage, which I hear is actually doing, is pretty popular in England and Ireland. So I think a lot of people are reading it. Um, and it, I the, have the, a copy of it. You do? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's actually holding up one end of my Christmas tree. <laughs> ah, well, I'm not sure if that's a good place for it if you want to read it. But <laughs> I'll anyway, get to it. I'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually it's it actually changed my my whole view of myself and the way that I was brought up and why I kind of have noticed certain traits in myself and a lot of traits in my friends. Um, so after reading that book, that was when I realized that that was the kind of the story I wanted to tell in terms of the gay experience. So it really is about how we're brought up in a straight man's world and we're bombarded with images of romantic love and marriage and weddings. And, yeah. and, and we never really are able to connect to 
that idea or ideal um, and I think women have a hard time too, even straight guys. And there's a line in the beginning of the film where you know, my straight brother's basically saying, look, you guys, ha- I really wish I was gay because you guys have it so much easier. We're kind of, we have this ordained path where we have to get married, have kids, settle down, white picket mm. fence. Um, and it's, so I think it's interesting growing up in that psychological soup as a gay person and then realizing on some level you have never, even if you want that life, you probably will never have it. And so just having to come to terms with that, and I think it's very different for the younger generation. I sound like an old man, but... Yeah, that is true. <laughs> I think it's very difficult that I sound like an old man. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, no it, I actually feel exactly the same. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see these, you see like um, kids who are like 17 and 18 and gay with no, none of those like glaring hang-ups and yeah. rather than be happy for them personally, I begrudge them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's brilliant. I think it's progress. I think this is exactly what we needed. I know there's some people that are annoyed that we're we're you know, now we're getting married. It's a heteronormative and all this kind of stuff. No, I think that for me, it's a huge part. I just was a, a, a wedding on on um, on Saturday. Two of my friends got married, and and it was a big party at their house. Beautiful speeches. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. And it's yeah. two people coming together after 20 years, finally able to, to do this thing where they are with their fa- family and friends and they're saying in front of their family and friends, this is the person I want to be with. And then on top of it, they get all the brilliant legal protections that you get from a marriage, you know? Um, yeah. That's what I'm interested in. Weddings aside and poofy white dresses, but it's the protections. It's It's what you take for granted until something happens in your life and you're like, Holy shit! I can't get into the hospital room because I'm not. Yeah. I'm not family. You can take my house away, even though I've been paying the mortgage for thirty years, and my partner died because it was in their name. And now you can take my entire life. The family swoops in that's never talked to me before and takes my entire life away. This is the kind of thing that's still happening in America. The big issue around gay marriage, I suppose, in Ireland is very led by the Catholic Church, and I think mm-hmm. people they, they find it very difficult to separate marriage and you know religious marriage in 2014 we kind of reckon there will be a referendum on gay marriage in ireland at the moment we just have civil partnership got it yeah Yeah. well the thing is it's like it's not marriage is it it's the wedding what they're getting all pushnickety about is the actual ceremony in a church and they're saying that marriage was ordained by god well i'm sorry i'm sorry to say it wasn't (laughs) it's been it was made up and it's been many different things over the years. If you read any history of marriage, you will realize that it was used for so many different things. And at one point, the church actually didn't um, ordain marriage at all. So they have their history all wrong. Of course, they're using it as per usual. Um, and people need to realize what it's really about, two people that love each other. I know, and a no wedding more. is, you know, I mean, whether it's a gay wedding or a straight wedding, either way, at the end of the night, it's going to be one of your sisters trying to show your father how to slut drop. So get over it. <laughs> exactly. In the Macarena Absolutely. at some point. <laughs> I mentioned that in Ireland, we're in a position where hopefully next year there'll be a referendum and hopefully it will come in. But one of the things that's happening here is there's a lot of televised debates on gay marriage. And I don't know if this was the same uh, in in the US, but at the moment, what TV producers seem to be doing in the name of a balanced argument, they have someone who is pro-gay marriage and then they, they have someone who hates gay people. <laughs> so you're not getting... That's hilarious. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not exactly getting a balanced argument. You're getting, you know, right, I hate right, gay right. people and why aren't they on right. fire? <laughs> right, um, exactly. Uh, is that something that happened in the US? 
I have a very skewed um, version of this because I work so closely with so many people um, fighting for gay marriage. I mean, lawyers and immigration lawyers and working with the couples themselves and families. So um, I wasn't privy to... There were definitely debates and things were mentioned, but I do I do track a lot of the press out there. Um, and it's just the same old tired arguments that we hear again and again and again, where, you know, it just happened recently with somebody that I'm not going to even mention his name or what's going on over here right now because it just doesn't bear talking about. But it's the same old thing, people using the Bible and religion, um, cherry-picking quotes from the Bible, um, when if you look at their own life, they're, they're doing just as many things that in, that in the Bible says they shouldn't be doing. And then it's just, you know, if you really want to go there, it's just, it just isn't Christian. It isn't yeah. what any of these religions talk about. Um, and so I just kind of turned off after a few years of this. I just yeah. turn off because it's like, you know, you're not telling me anything new. It's all the same thing. It's just a script that you guys um, have been told and you've and that was made up at some point. <laughs> and they're just stirring the soup, basically. And they're just yeah, and it's and it's not based on you know, there's this this that happened recently in America where this person saying all this horrible stuff and then they're saying my first you know, my freedom of speech, my first amendment rights are being trampled and it's like, no, you you're allowed to say whatever you want to say, but you there are gonna be repercussions and you know, it's um and you're hiding behind, you're using religion to basically be hurtful, hateful, and a bigot. And that's what, it, it's like, there's, you know, when you put, when you, when I see two people that I saw on Saturday, two men t- saying how much they love each other and how much they mean to each other and 20 years together. And like, how can you deny that that's anything more than just love? I mean, yeah. it's just the most beautiful thing. So, you know, and it just it just drives me crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was brilliantly put. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Very well put. <laughs> but uh, now, uh, you financed the film through a, a Kickstarter campaign. Um, how how did you find that? I mean, that's that's a it's a kind of a brave move. Um, how how long did that take? Oh gosh, it wasn't brave. I had no idea what I was doing until I was then <laughs> when I had launched it. I thought to myself, "Oh crap! What have what have I done?" Yeah. Um, I actually got an email from somebody, uh, a friend of a friend said, would you check out this project uh, and then see if you want to invest? And I was like, what are they talking about? And I went to the the page and looked at what was going on and was blown away and thought to myself, ah, because the project at that point had been stalled for about six months because I was talking to a lot of people, but nothing in Hollywood and nothing was really happening. Um, And I just thought to myself, you know, I, I love social media. i I like being online and I can do goofy videos. I think I can, I can do this. And I just kind of, I launched it on February 14th cause I'm a, you know, foolish oh. I know, I know. Adorable. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize that 50,000 was a lot of money in terms of um, raising that on social media. And then I had an amazing three months of connecting with new people on online, old fans from the band, Twitter, Facebook, just being goofy and, so supported and and it's amazing to make a film when you have people that have invested um from all around the world and then you feel this 
amazing, not sense of responsibility like it's a weight, but you really want to make it the best. I mean, I was kind of, you know, I produced the film as well with, with um, Stephen Israel, and I always would be like, listen, I have 500 people that are counting on me to make this amazing, so here's what's going to happen. <laughs> wow. and where, do, like, because you wrote it and you were starring it, I mean, were you a nightmare? Were you, <laughs> did, you, did you go a bit crazy for a few months uh, while you were putting it together, or, did you, or were you Mr. Cool and Calm? I was Mr. Cool and Calm until post-production, um, and then... And then I was like, you know what? Um, now, now I can be a producer because I know this. I know music. I know editing. I know all those things. Whereas I didn't. Uh, in pre-production, I was prepping as an actor. On set, I was an actor, and um, everybody had made it very comfortable. It was great to come into work. Um, it wasn't that stressful. But in post-production, that's when I could take off my actor hat and be right. Now I'm producer. Now I can really like work with everybody and make sure we get the best product. And arguments in art are good. You know, if you have a bunch yeah. of yes people, you end up with, with movies that can be absolutely ridiculous. So having that friction and having people with different ideas and then having to come to a consensus, I think is super healthy. And I think you get a better product. So yeah, I definitely was, I definitely was thinking about Kickstarter and Indiegogo um, in uh, people the whole time and wanted and also all the families that I've met over the years and all the people that are fighting the good fight for uh, marriage equality so that was on my on my mind the whole time cool while, while you had the editor in a headlock <laughs> no actually I had a great time with the editor he really understood the script um, he he and I had a fantastic time in the editing suite and um, he actually you know, edit, editors and casting directors, I think, are two of the, the least respected or understood outside of the film world. And they really can make or break a film. And our editor yeah. did an incredible job. Um, and, you know, we were very low budget. We weren't able to have 14, 20 takes. Um, so when you're dealing with very few takes, um, even though we had an incredible actors in the film, it still can be very difficult. But he, I think he did an incredible job. Yeah, incredible. It, I have to say it, it is absolutely beautifully shot. I mean, it's it, it just, it's brilliant. I, I, like to listeners, I really, really urge you to rent it. It's on iTunes. I rented it on iTunes. Oh, um, excellent. Now, you've mentioned it briefly throughout the interview so far. And that is in another lifetime, you were in a boy band in the UK called Bad Boys Inc. Um, <laughs> yes. It's oh, true. <laughs> it, I remember actually a summer, a long time ago, of seeing you all on Top of the Pops, your first performance, I think, singing live. And I bought oh the CD goodness. single. I know. What? Well, I can age you right there because um, <laughs> it, it was 20 years ago this year. I know. It's Isn't that insane? That is, it does, <laughs> I, I just cannot believe that it is 20 years ago because I actually interviewed Mariana from The Honeys. Um, oh, yeah. Recently. And uh, she... We were talking about her band Solid Harmony, and again I said, "Oh, I, uh, I think I had one of those singles." And she said the exact same thing. Oh, then I know exactly what age you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I was into pop music when I was two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you were in that band, you were in the closet. Uh, that must have been really, really difficult. Yeah, it was. It was. I think it was difficult in my twenties and thirties. That's that's when everything kind of hit me I think I think at the time um it was so insane and so crazy and I was just I was kind of bratty and a little bit annoyed about it 
Um, but I think it, the, the fallout, the psychological fallout for, for being in that situation and really not having an adult around. I was like 18, 19 and not having any kind of um, adult or, or some kind of figure around us that really cared for us. Yeah. Um, and kind of explained what was going on or why it was happening. It really was a question of, I used to joke to my friends and say, yeah, I don't really have a, an alarm clock anymore. I just kind of, the limo driver knocks on the door and I ask him if I need a passport or not. And that's about, that's, that's kind of my life right now. I have no idea what's going on from day to day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can't expect that. You can't expect your, your manager and agents to be mummy and daddy, but it would have been nice to have a little bit more of understanding and kind of, an idea of what we might have been going through as people because it was just mad for two years absolutely mad yeah what's interesting is everyone uh, from looking at that time you know i I was obviously a pop fan back then buying singles and uh, buying copies of smash hits and big and you know and you you were on the cover of big yes i remember (laughs) yeah i remember that actually actually we probably should clarify for uh for America, that big is actually a child's... It's a kid's magazine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Is it still going, actually? It's not your filthy it... past. Um, no, Ooh. they're all gone. They're all gone. Oh. It's so sad. It's terrible. It is sad. It's all these oh. new generation bastards with their iPads. <laughs> yeah, and it's all this online stuff. Ah, well. It's killing Oh, it. well, when we were kids, there were things called magazines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and where at, at the time you were in that band I, I mean it was you know insane teenage girls uh were you out to yourself um as a gay guy or you know did you have relationships or yeah yeah i was i was and, uh, and i you know my friends knew and my family knew but um you just couldn't be you just couldn't be gay in the public i mean it you know it just was absolutely not even it wasn't even a decision that was made it was just that that was what would if you you just didn't come out i mean this is not just pop stars not coming out this was everybody i mean it was a a very different time i mean you wouldn't come out at work with your boss let alone um when you were in a in a team bot you know but yeah band yeah, very different. The, and the ba- your band actually split before before you could ever address this publicly or anything like that. And was it difficult for you afterwards? You know, out of the industry and then seeing things like Stephen Gately come out and did you, was that difficult for you? Because you never got your shot at that, really. No, I, I was. Uh, you know, I only really came out a couple, two or three years ago. I actually was in Attitude magazine. Um, and they did a, they were really, really lovely to do like four pages on me. And they talked about me raising money for the band and uh, for the, for the project, the film. Um, and it was then I was like, you know, I kind of came out, which is, <laughs> I'm sure everyone was like, number one, who is this guy? And number two, why do we, why do we care? Um, but it, I think it's, it is an important thing. And I, I still defend people that, that legitimately aren't ready to come out. Um, professionally because I think that we are still dealing with a lot of different professions that you will be judged and it you you have to make that so the decision for me is do and it may or may not be legitimate but the the sense is do I want to have a career or do I not want to have a career because a lot of times that's the decision that that gay people have to make you know if I come out my career it probably won't go any further than it is right now so do I just kind of suck it up and enjoy my career and do my thing and keep quiet 
or do I want to come out and then possibly have to become an advocate, which I may or may not be comfortable with, but that's just kind of where we are right now. Yeah. Um, and I think we need people to come out, right? Because we need to normalize this stuff. I and mean, it's ridiculous. But at the same time, if you're not ready and you don't want to do it because you, you know, you have a vision of where you want it to be and, and you know, if you're coming out, will probably that won't happen. Then more power to you as long as you're doing good for the community in a different way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's complicated because I know a lot of people, they're like, you have to come out if you're gay. But I think it's, you know, it's such a, oh, I mean, being gay, for me, being gay is like number 15 of my top 20 of who I am as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I don't exactly wake up the, the same. Right. Yeah. So I don't wake up in the morning and like the first thing I do is, go, oh, I'm gay. And I have to have breakfast and make some coffee. And, you know, it, it's it, I never think about it. Right. Yeah. The people that think about it the most are these um, are these people that are anti-gay and they hate gay people. It's like, wow, you think about being gay and butt sex more than I do. Jesus, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> well, I think actually one of the reasons you probably don't get out of bed and worried about being gay is because and I, I have to mention this about the film you have a spectacular head of hair <laughs> it is almost I was going <laughs> a spectacular head of hair it's almost like another character in the film it was just <laughs> you know it's a Ross thing I've just recently uh, sort of started talking to my brother again this last year he married a wonderful woman and she she just wasn't having having it that me and my brother weren't talking and um he's got amazing head too i follow him on facebook and apparently it's a thing he's always he's very political and outspoken then he's like don't worry guys my next post will be about my awesome hair so i think we <laughs> i think we got it from my dad it's spectacular i mean i was looking at it I was like he could probably part that hair without even using his hands <laughs> <laughs> yes i just i just think about it and it just happened absolutely it's incredible um, I did some Googling after after I watched the movie and I then went and had a look at uh, Stephen Fry's documentary um, oh. uh, Out There. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Out yeah, There. Out yeah. There, yeah, yeah. Um, where you were taking some classes in LA um, to, because obviously you're an actor in LA and I suppose Hollywood is probably one of the places in the world where it is still very difficult, I suppose, professionally to be gay. Um, yeah. And the classes involved, like, it was basically to try and dampen down um, your gayness, I suppose. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, and how, just, what was your experience of that or how, how did you find that? Well, it's, I've, I just want to talk about, first of all, that yes, in Hollywood, it's still very difficult to get work if you're out um, as an actor. You can probably do small gay films and gay roles on television, but casting directors, producers and directors, even if they're gay, um, and it is changing, but it's very, very difficult to get work if you're an out actor. For some reason, we can suspend belief of a straight actor being playing a gay role, but we can't suspend the belief of a gay actor playing a straight role. Mm. It's very strange. I think things are changing. Um, and a lot of times what will happen is, first of all, I'm English, and there's this thing over here in America where they're like, is he gay or just English? So yeah. we're... we're <laughs> so I have a friend of mine um, who shall remain nameless, who's Australian, and he's not out, but he's just very sweet. And that's not what the casting directors are expect or the producers are expecting from an Australian guy. So yeah. he has to put on this kind of like more gruff Australian um, persona when he's doing his auditions. So people are like, oh, yeah, he's a cool Aussie du dude. Um, and so when you're gay, if they know you're gay, there's an expression where 
oh, he just seems a bit soft. Yeah. And it's almost almost like if I went into an audition with an American accent without telling them I was English, they wouldn't bat an eyelid. If I went in English, flipped to American, went back to English, they would say, oh, and my American accent is Stella. They would say, well, yeah, we could kind of tell he was English. So and this is not all casting directors, but that's kind of what's going on over here. So a lot of times you have to go for voice training, um, make sure that you're not overly expressive. I mean, it's ridiculous, but yeah. listen, you're an actor. You're putting on a persona. So if you want to put on a straight persona <laughs> so you yeah. can get work, go for it, you know? It's very strange. It's and very, very strange. Do you find that difficult? Does that get to you or, do you, or is it just oh. part of the job? Oh, no, I'm very straight acting. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> no, well, actually, you that, that is the interesting thing. Uh, in interviews I've seen of you and stuff, you don't come across as gay. That's what I thought was quite funny about the Stephen Fry thing was, I was like, well, I'm not saying it. It was quite ironic, actually. Right. And, and it, you know, for me, it's, it's, all, it's all a question of, um, it's all a question of psychology, right? And then having, as an actor, you just have to be like um, a clear vessel, as it were. If you have any of that stuff, running before you're even um, playing a character, you're going to have all this worry and nervous stuff happening, which means you can't enjoy um, the scene that you're, you're telling, the story that you're telling. Um, and I think what's so funny is how we get, um, we're so wrapped up in about straight acting and he looks gay, he's acting gay. And there are so many straight guys who, they're so... They, they come across as so soft and effeminate and sweet and lovely. Um, and so, you, so you're like, well, hang on a second, then what, it, what does it mean to be straight and what does it mean to be gay? And I think we're so stuck in this, these old um, ideas of what it is to be a man or what it is to be gay, which in some people's eyes is, quote unquote, not a man, you know? Yeah, it's kind of tragic, but it definitely feels like something that future generations of actors are not going to have. Like, it definitely feels like something that's going to diminish. Oh, I'm seeing it all the time. I mean, I've, one of my favourite shows right now, um, don't, don't Judge Me, is Teen Wolf. It is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I know at least one character on that show is gay um, and out, and it's not a problem. Like I said, I think it's a generational thing. I think we're finally getting to that point where no one gives a shit. And, um, and I think that's really great. I think that's what our forefathers and, and foremothers have been fighting for generations to get to the point where people just don't bat an eyelid. They don't, you know, no one is going to be worried about walking down the street holding the person they love's hand. Like, these are the things that we've been fighting for. People have died for this. And these kids are growing up um, not knowing what's come before them, but they're living in a world where that, a lot of, a lot of times that doesn't matter anymore. Now, yes, there are a lot of places where it's still scary to be, to be LGBTI, Q, whatever all the letters are. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like super supercadrophragilisticexpialidocious. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the fact that we are, in a, things are changing and they seem to be changing rapidly, which is awesome. Now that I do, uh, I suppose it's over, it's out on DVD now. Do you think, is it difficult for you to let it go because it was such a passion project? I was thoroughly depressed. I felt like someone had died. Oh. Um, and yeah, I went through this, I went through the, legitimately went through this five stages of grief or whatever it is. I mean, I, I said to my partner, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm in bargaining right now. He's like, yeah, you can't really go in and re-edit the film. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> 
So um, yeah, I've, I'm over. I'm, I, I actually uh, FedExed off the final posters and DVDs to the people that um, gave us um, their hard-earned cash to help us make the film. And I'm enjoying a couple of weeks over Christmas, and I'm going to be starting a new a new script and coming back to England in January. I really want to get more work over there and do some. There's such amazing television and film coming out of the UK. Everyone's crazy about this whole big reunion thing, which is hilarious. So I guess oh. you, I, I actually sat down and watched it with with my partner, and um, and I cried like a baby. Like I couldn't take it. It brought up so much. <laughs> stuff for me and he, he's, he's looking at me going do you need a valium or something <laughs> okay i'm like this is crazy but um yeah it looks like a, a ton of fun I, I, we're not doing it um and you know that's totally fine because i've got a lot of other stuff going on but um it looks mental it in a seems, good way it seems absolutely crazy i mean um I, I met Mariama when she was, I interviewed her when she was actually in Dublin as part of the tour and she was still in that kind of shell-shocked uh, moment. They'd just done the O2 to 15,000 people and oh, wow. mean, it was just, it just seems See, to be yeah. yeah, I miss that. I miss, I miss performing. I could do without all the other stuff. I could do without that kind of fame. I could do without um, the travel and the you know, people screaming at you who they don't even know who you are, but they're just screaming at you because they think that you're somebody, you're not really, you're just a human being. Yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, but performing for 50, 100,000 people is so much fun. So I miss that. And I would love, you know, maybe at some point to do something in front of that many people again. But yeah, the rest of it, I could do without. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, happy as we are. That's a good way to finish. Happy as we are. There you go. There you <laughs> go. I like that. David Ross, it was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> oh, tons of fun. Thank you so much. Being gay used to be illegal in Ireland up until 1993. That was the year that we won the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> Someone in government just got in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> because before that, they used to put you in prison. Because that'll sort it out. <laughs> like the first person ever dressed up with me was my school principal because he called me in and he sat me down and he said, Girl, you're a little bit different. You're different, you are. You're different to all the other boys in this school. And I said, I know. I can read. <laughs> David Ross and John Lyons are simply people that made a choice as part of their work to speak out, and that's something that we all can do. So thanks to them and to all my guests so far. There are six more episodes of this in the works, so stay subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And if you like the show, tell your friends on Twitter or Facebook or any way you like. My email address is garode at garodeverity.com if you want to get in touch. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. It's hard work interviewing these people because some of them share far too much. This is David telling me about his naked photo shoot for Attitude magazine. Get ready to blush. Oh my God, it was really awful. I sent the picture to my friends and they were like, yeah, I would crop out the penis if I was you. <laughs> it was just a little tiny bit. Well, that sounds awful, but they were like, crop out the bush, dude.
Hey, Becky, what about this beat for your next song? Mm, it's cool, but I'm into faster stuff lately, like Xfinity that gives me beyond gig speeds. Got it. What about this then? Mm, it sounds powerful, just like Xfinity. Because its supersonic Wi-Fi has three times the bandwidth, you can connect hundreds of devices at once. <laughs> That's what I call power. Unbeatable internet from Xfinity. Made to do anything so you can do anything. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Requires compatible Xfinity gateway. Limited quantities available.